0: Everyone, welcome to Lakeside Presbyterian Church. I'm Lynn Turnbull, and many of you know me as the faith community nurse or the parish nurse. This is one of our programs of helping us to understand the medical system here in Mexico. It is different from up north, wherever that might mean to you. And it is very important that we know how the system works, how we gain access to it, and who the providers are. Today we're very pleased to have with us somebody you might know as Dr. Sam, or Dr. Sam Talin. Um, He is a family practitioner in Chapala, and he's known by many of the parishioners here as their family doctor. So kindly welcome Dr. Sam, who's going to explain the whole system to us.
1: Okay, I just turned this mic on. Can everybody hear me well? Okay, if there's anybody who cannot hear well just because of not being able to hear well, Uh, They do have headphones. Just raise your hand, and they'll get you a pair of those as well. But everybody all the way to the back can hear me well? Okay, good. All right. This, I gave a presentation starting actually in 2014, then 2018, and then this one. And uh, it started off, and it's evolved since then, but it started off as the emergency medical system here. But things have changed, and I also got a lot of questions uh, regarding the changes in, you know, salute popu- or, uh, Popular, or Popular Salar. Uh, what is it in English? Well, still the same thing Spanish. Seguro uh, Popular. And uh, the transition that just happened this month, actually. And so I'm, I'm going to start off touching on that a little bit. I've got a lot of slides, a lot of, uh, a lot of pictures and stuff in here, so I'm not going to spend very long on each one of them. And in a few of them, we will sit down and, and we'll talk a lot about them. Uh, and then when we get to the very end, uh, we'll open up for a little bit of discussion. I don't have anywhere that I have to be at 3 o'clock, uh, so if everybody has questions afterwards, uh, I'm welcome to you know, answer anything, even if it's off-topic at that point. So we'll start off the, uh, the, the Lake Chapala Medical System. And uh, you know, basically, emergency options. Role well, of having a plan uh, and/or insurance, and also uh, new changes and options. And uh, go ahead. All right. So the first thing I wouldn't normally make this the the, the focus of, of this presentation, but the no more Seguro Popular, and there's a lot of confusion, a lot of myths, a lot of blind leading the blind on Seguro Popular. Uh, and I'll go into that a little bit uh, as we go, but what was Segura Popular, what did it offer, and then what is, everybody refers to this as Insabi, which is actually the uh, Institute of Salud uh, for Well-Being, is is basically what it is. Uh, Go ahead to the next one. Okay, Article 4 of the Constitution of Mexico, uh, which was written many, many years ago, has a clause in there that it says everybody has the right to have their health protected. It's kind of vague. It's very vague. Go ahead. Uh, And then it goes in, uh, if I can't see that, you can't either, but it's okay. Uh, This goes a little bit deeper into the role of the health department uh, in oversight and uh, also uh, administering care. Next one. Okay. So, really, the right to have their health protected. uh, Are we being protected from disease? Are we being protected from accidents, from bad doctors, from ourselves? Uh, What is it and how well does it work? That's a good question. Next one. All right. That is a picture that I took of a child back in 2010 uh, when I was doing Seguro Popular, or when I was in the central of Salud, uh, doing my social service. And... Anybody know what that kid has just by looking at him? Mm. Ricketts. When's the last time you've seen Ricketts? This was 2010. Uh, the system has good intentions, but it may or may not really work that well. And actually, that was a nomadic uh, group of people, and since they didn't have an address, they technically were not able to have uh, health care. Um, he wasn't able to get vitamins and stuff. So anyway, a couple of documents got switched and he got some uh, extra care. But uh, go on. Okay, federal insurance systems. Part of making good on the Constitution, ensuring not insuring, but uh, saying that we have the right to have our health protected, or that Mexicans do anyway, was putting out there federally subsidized, federally organized insurance programs. Uh, the gringos refer to this as, as IMSS. The Mexicans pronounce it by just Eames, And then the second one is East Day, Pemex, Sedena, Semar. What are these? The first one is actually the more public one. is more for the workers, but people can buy into it as well. And they can sort of uh, allow foreigners to buy into it. We'll go into that in a little, little bit more later. Uh, East Day is more for government employees. That really doesn't apply to any of us. Uh, Paymex, believe it or not, Paymex has their own insurance uh, and so on and so forth, SEDENA, uh, Seymar. Uh, but there's something special about these versus Segura Popular, which is a huge confusion on this. Uh, go to the next one. Okay, if you look at that, that in the front of it it says IMSS. That's a hospital. That is a physical hospital. Go to the next one. Okay, Eames, these are the hospitals that we have right here near us in uh, in Guadalajara. Uh, There's multiple ones. I think there's actually even one more I didn't list. Okay, the next one. Okay, that's East Day. That's a hospital. That's an insurance. That's a federal insurance. That's a hospital. That's a physical hospital. They have doctors. They have equipment. Go to the next one. That's Paymex. We don't have Paymex hospitals here, but if you are closer to the coast areas uh, where they do have them, uh, they have very nice hospitals. Go to the next one. Okay, that's a military hospital. Uh, that would be your your the last two on the list. Of course, we're not you know uh, privileged to those, but they are they do exist. So the next one. Okay, so where is Seguro Popular. If there's one thing that makes my my yeah, if there's anything that makes my eyes roll more than anything else, it's when I hear you know the the Gringos. And it can be Canada, Europe, uh, United States. Doesn't matter. But they say I'm going to go to Seguro Popular. I, where is Seguro Popular? There is the, no, and, and what they're usually trying to say is that they're going to uh, go to the uh, health department. They're going to go to the Central of Salud or something. But Seguro Popular is not a place. It's an insurance. For the next one, okay. Seguro Popular is an insurance, uh, not a hospital network. Um, I'm going to skip the first one for a second. Uh, go down to the third one. No, no. Uh, I'm just on the list. Go ahead and go back. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, a lot of people don't have the time to wait in line to do all the paperwork and everything to go for it. If you've ever done paperwork in Mexico, you know that. No, we need a copy of it. No, it has to be... You know, no, no, no. Um, poor coverage, uh, but not worthless. On the next page, I'll go into that a little bit. Um, the problem with Seguro Popular really came down to, and I know you're going to find this very surprising, but corruption. Um The money was somewhat there, but then the distribution it didn't arrive uh, It arrived in certain places. regular doctors and, and public hospital or private hospitals different places could get in on this system. They would come in and they would do an inspection they would say okay well, let's see, you 've got ramps that meet the right angle you 've got a, a a bar for people to grab onto on the, on the bathroom." Um, you know, you've got toilet paper. Okay, you you you, you make eighty percent or higher. We'll let you uh, be part of our system. But we want the records the way we want them to be. We'll come in every so often and check them, and uh, then we'll pay you. It wasn't a lot, but for example, back about five years ago, putting in a set of sutures, which is five, one, two, three, four, five was about 450 pesos. If you put in a sixth suture, okay, that was another set. So you could get 900 pesos out of that. Uh, you spent some time, you spent some money, but it was it was kind of like a steady income. Uh, you know, if you saw a whole tribe of people coming in that were you know fighting each other with knives, we didn't have any money, but they had segura Popular. You could you could have a little bit of money coming in. Problem was, then you waited to get paid from Seguro Popular as a provider, and then you waited, and then you waited. And some of these people, after four years of waiting, decided, uh, "No, we're not going to do Seguro Popular anymore." So the private sector didn't want to take Seguro Popular. So who did? The government. Uh, those same people that were more or less supplying it. So the hospital, the Sevilles. Uh, you know, there's a couple other hospitals on there. I'll, I got to list them later. Those were the people that accepted Seguro Popular. These are also the same places that were already full, that already had an abundance of, of, of patients. So. It worked for some things. For example, it would cover cataracts. Um, it would cover, like, a pacemaker. It, I think it was up to 60,000 pesos uh, to put in a pacemaker. It wasn't the last and greatest model or anything, but, it, you know, it would save your life. Uh, it covered some things. There were a lot of things it didn't cover. Uh, and I'm going by memory, and I may be a little wrong on this, but I would, if I recall, like in cancer, it would cover leukemia in a child, but it definitely, it, and it would cover, on a federal program, it would cover breast cancer in a woman, but it was very basic treatment. It was basically, you know, chemotherapy, mastectomy. It was, you know, in and out. Uh, But like prostate cancer, didn't cover that. A lot of things that were necessary, it didn't cover. It it wasn't worthless, but it it didn't do exactly what people expected it to do either. However, in an emergency, it was a big problem. Go ahead. Okay, causes. Causes is an acronym or an abbreviation. That's an acronym, I guess you'd say. it basically stood for the catalog of services. And why is this important? Because right now there's a lot of controversy between Segura Popular and the new system that just got implemented or is trying to be implemented. And this is what a lot of people are asking questions about. Causes was a, was a was a book, it was about yay thick, a couple hundred pages, I believe. And it went into you know the protocols and everything, but it basically stated what was treated and covered, and what was not, um, and that's important. As I go on, go to the next one. Okay, this is the new system, and the new system, the what we'd say the Ley General de Salud, which is uh, the General Health Law, uh, which is right up there. I think it's just right under the Constitution. I mean, it's it's a very high level law. Was modified on. Uh, What's the date at the very top of it? 29th of November uh, of 2019. And so instead of just saying people have the right to have their health protected, it went a little bit farther. Uh, It actually laid out some more specifics that the government was actually going to be in charge of paying for this, uh, which was actually a a major statement. Go ahead to the next one. Okay. So now what it says in part of this, now this is actually... a document about, yeah, I think it's like 14 pages. But uh, this right there, it says uh, basically all the people that are found within the country, which if you interpret that, that doesn't mean just the citizens. That means anybody that's in here. Uh, It's kind of like Article 2 of the Constitution. It says, you know, there's no more slaves in Mexico. And it also says if you just happen to arrive in Mexico, if you were a slave, you're no longer a slave. Um, So basically everybody that's in within the the, uh, country Uh, that does not have uh, insurance, the government insurance, uh, basically now will have free medical care. Now, free medical care is is a little vague in this way. Uh, It doesn't say what they cover, what they don't, and that's one of the problems that we're running into. But remember, this is only the first month. We're not even a month into the program. Uh, Go to the next one. Okay. Uh, Again, most of you probably can't see that. Uh, at the very bottom right, it basically says what you need uh, in order to be treated. You don't need this piece of paper that you had to wait in line for and, you know, bring whatever to, to get. All you need is uh, the voter registration card is, is sufficient, uh, the birth certificate is sufficient, or a KERP. And most people in here, even being foreigners, have a CURP. So technically, it should apply to almost everybody. Uh, go to the next one. All right, This one you can't really see real well. This was in a, in a newspaper, and basically it's just showing the coverage back and forth, and it's saying that the new system is inferior to the old system, and you're seeing a lot of this in newspapers right now. Uh, go to the next one. Uh, it basically says in this one, uh, one of the newspapers, it's saying that the, the system can't function the way it is, there's no money, There's you know that it won't work. Go to the next one. Uh, this one right here it says that they're going to have to double the amount that they spend on health in order to make this work. Go to the next one. Uh, this is uh, Guadalajara saying that the hospitals are uh, losing money uh, uh, because they're not uh, receiving the what they call uh, you know it's a small fee that when you go in and get whatever done you know they would charge you fifty pesos, hundred pesos, whatever. And since they're not doing that, they're not allowed to do that. Uh, they say they're losing money. Go to the next one. Uh, and this one right here is saying that the uh, civil hospitals are not going to change. They want to use the old system. What does it really come down to? Go to the next one. Uh, the big problem is money versus materials. Uh, as of right now, the president, I think one of his last things he was saying that he, you know, to one of the people, that I think it was in Oaxaca, I'm not sure, uh, that they were saying, well, we don't have me- uh, medicine or whatever. And he said, well, well, we'll send you medicine. Um, you ever notice these people that are out in the street begging for money? Uh, if you give them food, they're not really as happy as if you just give them money. Uh, that's kind of the same thing here. I think is what we're running into. Um, you know, you can't steal as much money if it's uh, if it's not given to you as money. You know, it's like here, here's a defibrillator, here's a here's an operating room, here's here's whatever. Uh, so we're going to see some controversy on this. I think this would be a permanent change, but I can't say for for sure right now. But uh, everybody that had uh, the Segura Popular. You basically, uh, you know, you're rolled over to this and you don't have to do anything, as long as you've got a kerb. Now, if you don't have a CURP, you know, you're, you're actually not going to be eligible. I don't know how that would work. Uh, I don't know the, how many people in here would actually not have a CURP. But, uh, no. kerb is clave unica de registro de population. It's like, in the U.S., uh, we have a social security number, and the social security number is everything. There, there is no other number. In Mexico, there's, there's two main numbers. One of them is the CURP, and that one identifies who you are, uh, and each one is supposed to be different in the population. And then there's also another number that probably nobody, there may be one or two people in here have. It's called an RFC, and the RFC is specifically related to taxes, uh, so you have a number to pay taxes, and then you have a number that basically just identifies you. In the U.S., they would be the same. They would be lumped into the Social Security. When I first came to Mexico, about what was it, 2005, uh, I did not have to have a Kirk. Uh, and then after a few years, they requested it, but it was something we actually had to go out and do. I mean, it was a it was a it was a major major job to go get one. We had to do that, and, like wait in line and everything. And then they started integrating it into the immigration system. So a lot of people, when they went to immigration, they automatically got a CURP, uh number. And you can also go online, and there's websites, uh, government websites, that will generate a KERP, but it may or may not be exactly what would be registered with the government. Uh, you, know, you can calculate what it should be, but sometimes it's a, it's a little bit off at the very end. So, but that's what that is. On the, on the back, if you've got your uh, temporary or your permanente visa, a lot of them for a while would actually have the CURP number on it. Uh, otherwise, you can go online and you can do, it's all in Spanish, but there is a place where you can look up your CURP and see if it's registered there. Okay. yeah yeah and, and it's it, it's, uh, it's not in a, it's, it's not an official document like a birth certificate or something that has seals and holograms or anything it's just something you can go on the website and just print off and you can print off 50 copies or however many you want so it's, it's, it's nothing it's nothing special it's just a, a piece of paper that has your number and your name on it okay let's go to the next one okay. In summary, free, fast, complete coverage. No. Uh, A lot has not changed. Go ahead. Um, Many routine services are provided by what was the grid popular and what is now uh, the new system. Um, But you still have an issue. The the, The system... it doesn't matter whether it's Mexico, uh, France, it doesn't really matter. Any, any country that uh, that is offering a, a, a subsidized or a free health care system, you're going to run into a shortage of money and, and materials. There's very few countries that actually have an abundance uh, to where they can actually treat everybody to the extent that they need to be treated. Uh, so state triage, same as Segura Popular. Um, and I'll talk about the, the triage system here in a minute. My, when I did the original presentation uh, in 2014, that was actually my the whole thing centered around a triage system. And a lot of people don't understand the triage system in Mexico. If you're if you're in Canada and you know you got run over or something, I mean you don't really worry about it. Somebody you know the ambulance is going to come and it's going to take you to a hospital. Uh, and same thing in the U.S. except you have to pay for it later. Um, in the U.S., if there's an accident or whatever. Um, you know they take you to the nearest place they can accommodate uh, I, I remember we flew a patient up we we're going to take him up to the va hospital uh up by dc but uh it became unstable when we actually landed in florida and uh, you know we're saying okay well i don't think it's actually a good idea to take this patient all the way you know in a plane from florida to washington dc and so uh we talked to the fire department which is right there out at the airport and you talk about service. It was very impressive, very impressive. Uh, if you go to Florida, the, the paramedic system, very, very good. hospital's a little bit different. Um, but uh, so anyway, uh, you know, they took them. They said, okay, well, this hospital, uh, cannot do it. This one, this one right here is a cardiac unit. Okay, so off we go, and right, right directly there. And that's what they do in, uh, in the U.S. or Canada and many countries. They're going to take you to the nearest hospital that can accommodate whatever you have, and then either the government pays for it or you get a nice bill in the, in the mail someday. Um, so anyway, Grota Popular in Mexico came out for people that didn't have either EAMS or East Day or anything else. But because it doesn't have its own hospital network, it's basically throwing you into the same place where people would go that didn't have insurance usually to begin with, and it's a very overburdened system. Go ahead to the next one. Well, let's talk a second here about what is an emergency. Uh, the word in English, we just have emergency. That's, that's it. Uh, you know, we might say something is urgent, but we don't. We, we refer to it simply as emergency. So you think, okay, well, there's, you know, red letters emergency. Uh, we have that in Mexico, too. Go to the next one. Uh, except it's urgencias, but, you know, the, the first, you know, the common uh, red lettering, unless it's blue the um, same thing but actually if, it depends on who you talk to as to what the definition of emergency is uh, we're on a bunch of medical websites uh, from Spain to Mexico to a lot of different places trying to find out what the definition between emergency and urgency was and none of them were in agreeance um, which one do we have to obey or, or believe the one that affects us uh, go to the next one uh, emergency doesn't mean the same emergency in Arhensia. Definitions are inconsistent. Which definition is important? SAMU and CRUM. Those are two words. or well they're not words. or acronyms. But those are, are two very important uh, aspects regarding anything that's, that's an emergency uh, in Mexico, if you're going to go through the, the triad system. What are they? Go to the next one. SAMU. Sistema uh, de Atención Medica uh, de Urgencias. Jalisco was the first state to have this system, uh, and then every state in Mexico now has their own. What is it? It's a call center. Uh, actually, the call center specifically is called CRUM, um, which I can't, you know, I, I guess if I looked here, I could actually tell you what it stands for. Or I could look here and I could actually see it a little bit bigger. Uh, Central Regulador de Urgencias Medicas. And uh, what it is, is it's a number. And I've talked to them many times uh, when I was over at the Red Cross, more than anything else, is we would call that number and we'd say, I've got a patient. He has this, this, and this. What are they doing? They're immediately triaging that patient. If there are 10,000 emergencies and there's 300 beds, guess what? Um, Triage. And so they're determining, okay, does this patient... Does he even have a chance of living? You know, if if not, he's on the bottom. Um, all things being equal, how old is he? Okay, if we've got a forty-year-old, we've got a twenty-year-old. Okay, guess who goes? Uh, the people that have. We'll go to the next page. The next slide. Okay, that's actually what we kind of thought it was, but uh, on the next one we have a real one. Uh, it's actually a very modern place. It's very sophisticated. Uh, very very well networked. Uh, each state has one and actually there's multiple regions. Uh, it's not just one. Right, go to the next one. Um, so they're going to triage. The person that has the highest uh, probability of dying without treatment, but who has the highest probability of living with treatment, gets pretty high on the on the, on the list. Somebody that will die even if they're treated, uh, very low on the list. Um, This basically is their protocol. Uh, You can't read it. I know it's too small for you to see it. Uh, But at the top, it basically has the call going in. And then you see it going into red and blue. That's why I was kind of joking about the red and blue being two different things. The red is classified as emerhensia. The blue is classified as urgencia. Some people would think they're the same thing. But there is a definition according to the people that would determine whether or not you got treated if you went through the system. Go to the next one. I tried to make that a little bit bigger. It's still pretty small. But uh, let me read that off for you and I can tell you exactly, exactly what that is. turned it off too small even on here. Basically, the, the emergencia is something that where there is a risk of life. Uh, limb or organ is really what it comes down to as far as uh, urhansia. Or, sorry, emerhansia. Urhensia is something that's it's pretty important, but you're probably not going to die from it. And if you do, it's not going to be right now. Uh, it may progress to something worse. Uh, and I'll show you a, couple, a few examples. Go to the next one. All right, this is what it's all about is, you know, a lot of people, we would get people with dog bites, uh, you know, nosebleeds, and they'd be, I sent the ambulance. It's because they don't want to spend the money for a taxi. Uh, and literally, a lot of people will want ambulances uh, just for convenience. Also, they know that if they go to a hospital by ambulance, they're probably going to be attended quicker, uh, or at least they think so. What would actually happen is this. Uh, you would just end up with a line of ambulances, and guess who gets treated? Nobody. They, they die in the ambulance. So it's a necessary evil to triage if you don't have the, the resources. Go to the next one. Uh, you can't see that very well, but that's actually a... Uh, Kind of a room, you might say, in Hospital Seville. And it's just lined up beds and beds and beds. Uh, you know, these are not empty places with people, uh, you know, playing on their cell phones because they're bored. These are very, very busy hospitals. Go to the next one. Uh, triage. Uh, and this is where I, what I kind of already told you patients with hyper-probability and everything. Uh, but there's two things, that the last two on there are kind of unfair, but it's the reality. Um, when we call a triage center, it's blind. They don't look at these two people, uh, you know, and, and and see a whole lot of difference. They just, all they, all they have is, okay, his vital signs are this, he's got this, he's got this. And uh, before we even had a, a CAT scan here, we would have patients that we thought might be having a stroke or something. But, you know, they would say, okay, well, you know, go do a CAT scan and call us back. Okay, well, that means sending the patient down to Guadalajara and, you know, they don't have the money to do it in the first place. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of a dysfunctional system, but again, it's a necessary evil. But, you know, they, age is weighted excessively. Uh, you know, if Albert Einstein uh, got run over by a truck and some 20-year-old drug addict on his motorcycle got run over by the same truck, well, guess who would get treated? You know, okay? Um, why is that important? How many people in here are under fifty? Okay, it's already a big strike against you on this system for emergency. Uh, which brings me to the last line, which is kind of a cruel statement, but it determines which patients are disposable. Um, you know, it really does. I mean, you know, if they've got if they've got a hundred patients right now in front of them, they've got to pick. Okay, well, send this one, send this one, send this one. We don't have room for this one. We don't have room for this one. We don't have room for this one. Uh, so never assume that by having to go to Popular, the, the, the new system, any of this, never assume that it's going to you know save you. Go ahead. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and there's like an airplane crash and you had 300 people out there, yes, they would have that kind of triage. However, here, um, for example, let's just say that there was... A, Pick it, I mean, whatever car crash, or just say one person. Let's just say one person, and that person goes over to the Red Cross. And actually, I've got an example here in a minute of some pictures. And it's just one person, okay? Even though that's not a mass casualty, that's one person here, one person there, one person here. That call center is receiving hundreds of calls, and so all those people are fighting for an available space. Maybe there's only three available spaces, so they're all fighting for that. So the triage system under this condition uh, with the three healthcare, so to speak, uh, is always in a triage state. It, it always is. Uh, you know, unless they build 10 times as many hospitals, it always will be. Go ahead. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the question she was asking when we were talking about the triage she was saying wouldn't that apply more to like a major disaster and we would think that you know if we were from the, in the states or in you know, Europe or, or Canada we would think okay what well, triage would be a disaster you know like for example like the, the airplane crash or something but here um, even if it's just one person that one person is is competing with, with many others so it doesn't have to be a mass casualty to, you know here it's always a triage system and it's always, it's always busy let me show you some examples go to the next one uh The example will be in just a minute. The 911 system, uh, I just threw that in there a little bit. Some people had questions about that. It was a nice idea. It doesn't work as well as it should. Two problems. One is if you call from a landline, they know where you are. If you call from a cell phone here, because the cell phones have the area code of Guadalajara, um, it's basically an extra step. They think you're calling from Guadalajara. Uh, So call from a landline or just call the non-900 number to call the police or the Red Cross or the hospital, whoever, directly. Go to the next one. Maybe. Uh, A lot of Mexicans speak English. You'd be surprised. But to to be proficient, maybe, maybe not. It's not a requirement. I'm sure they probably, you know, encourage it. But it's not a requirement. The, setup, the, the system is set up for Mexicans. And, well, if they don't understand what you're saying, they, they might yeah, they might. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's an important thing. Go to the next one. I uh, just go to the next one. Uh, this one simply says that, as uh, this was about two years ago, 70 uh, percent of the calls were false. Uh, you know, they were just prank calls. They, they weren't even emergencies in any way, shape, or form. And that's a little bit of a problem. In the U.S., if that happened, you know, they might even send the police to the, to the address where the call came from. Down here, the system is still not advanced enough, and nobody really cares enough to even, you know, find out where it came from. So it's, it's a problem. Go to the next one. Um, okay, we're talking about how you're going to get there. Uh, go, to the, go to the next one. Where? Let me see where the other picture is because somebody was asking about you know the emergency, the triage. Well, actually, it was your question. Let me look here really, really quick and see how far away that one is. Yeah, go ahead. Go, Go to the next one. Go to the next one. Okay, the next one. All right. Is that an emergency? That would hurt. And if it's left out for two or three days, a week, a month going to do some damage. Is that an emergencia? No. What about the next one? That was a three-year-old girl. She fell off a motorcycle with her dad uh, out towards Miscala. Uh, and if you can see the cut, but above the cut uh, in the same line, you can see a little bit of a uh, this with me. And I haven't even used it yet. You can see right here, that line, that's a skull fracture. Uh, it was was bad enough that we could actually confirm it on x-ray without even having to do a CAT scan guess how long it was before they were able to find her a bed three days Um, she was stable she wasn't dying in that moment now she obviously needs medical attention and this was not a mass uh, uh, casualty Uh, it was three days, they had no insurance now go ahead and go to the next one Three days versus 15 minutes, what's that all about? When we have called that triage, looking for a place for a patient, if that patient has IMSS or EAMS, that wait went from three days to about 15 minutes. Usually in about 15, 20 minutes, uh, the call center will call back and say, we found a bed. Uh, Or even if we didn't, uh, you know, take her to this hospital, see this doctor, uh, it's a big difference. Now, when we talk about that three-day wait, it sounds pretty negligent, but people were looking. They would call back every so often, how's the patient and everything. Now, had that patient's condition declined, let's say that uh, her breathing became erratic or something, she would have moved up on the scale and they would have bumped somebody else out of the way. Uh, but the system is over full. I've had so many, so many people say... Oh, I'm just going to get Seguro Popular just for an emergency. Bye. Uh, it's not going to help you get in any sooner. Uh, now, it will cover a lot of things. I'll give you two examples. I had a, um, a child, I think she was probably 8, 9, 10, something like that. I uh, had strep throat and just a very, very bad luck, really, what it came down to. Uh, the same bacteria that causes strep throat got lodged in. Uh, and her tibia she was in Hospital Seville for a little over a month two operations I think uh, multiple antibiotics and Seguro Popular uh, picked up all but about a thousand US dollars of the tab uh, it was pretty incredible uh, there was another patient that had cancer uh, he thought that you know having Seguro popular was his you know safety net and I tried to tell him it wasn't but um, he thought it was and then one day his One of his lungs collapsed. Uh, He basically had cancer in his lung, and it collapsed. And, uh, trouble breathing. And so, what do we do? You know, it kind of puts a burden on the doctor. It's like, okay, well, you know, I can't, like, do surgery right here in your bed. Uh, so we took him down to a hospital in Guadalajara, and I said, I think he's got a collapsed lung, you know, and they finally were able to get an x-ray. It took some time. Not because they were, you know, wasting time. They were busy with other patients. Um... So anyway, they, uh, they took the x-ray, and they said, yep, he's got a collapsed lung. It was probably a day or two before they were actually able to find him a gurney uh, to lay down on. He was on an examination table in a wheelchair, you know, wherever they had space. And then after a few days, they were able to get him up to the operating room. They did surgery on him. And he ended up staying there for probably about a month. Uh, you know, they gave him a transfusion, a pretty large transfusion. Uh, they do have services, but the problem was, in an emergency setting, you're, you're, you're dealing with, there's too much competition for, for treatment, and so it's not going to help you that much. The, uh, the other pages that we, that we went over, that we bypassed, well, go ahead and go back to them. I'm just going to touch on them really quick. They're not super important. Um, uh, go ahead to the next one. Okay. How will you get to wherever you're going? Uh, that kind of ties into something, because there's one thing I haven't mentioned yet when we're talking about this triage. Let's say that you go, let's say that you, you know, you're, you're going to go with the same system, the, the, the follow-up to the Seguro Popular, which is basically not having insurance. And let's say that something happens to you, you know, your, your appendix breaks, uh, whatever, bursts. They say, okay, well, I'm going to go down to Hospital Seville. You could drive yourself there, and actually, I have had one patient drive himself to the hospital, which actually had a ruptured appendix. Um, he, wasn't, he, he didn't want his wife to drive, uh, but uh, anyway, that's a long story. It's a real, real, real story. Um, but yeah, you could drive yourself there. You can take a taxi there. You can take a bus there. You can you can get there however you want, except an ambulance. Now, once you walk in the door, you're there. And they will take your name, they'll take your information, and you basically are in their, I won't say in their care, but you're in. Now, you may wait a very long time, but at least you're waiting in the hospital. If you you become worse, you're in a hospital. If you want to go by ambulance, that's a very different situation. If you go down to the Red Cross... A couple of real, real stories. One guy fell out of a tree, broke several bones, and um, he wanted to go to Hospital Seville. Now, had he gotten in the car and driven, which he couldn't because both his legs were broken, um, he would have been in the hospital. You know, they probably wouldn't have done a whole lot right away, but he needed to go by ambulance. So we called the call center, we say, we've got this patient, he's got this, this, and this, he's in extreme amount of pain, da 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 I he's not even going to be accepted. He is not, in this moment, a risk to die. Now, uh, things could, other complications can obviously happen, but because he wasn't, you know, the, his risk of dying was not very high at that moment, he wasn't even really a consideration. I mean, they'll say, yeah, we'll, we'll call you back if we find a place. And they will. If, if for whatever reason, you know, just a whole bunch of people just happen to move out of the hospital and they have room, they'll call. They'll say, hey, guess what? We've got a place for you. That's not going to happen. Um... So, how are you going to get there? By taxi, by ambulance, taxi, whatever. A lot of people have the anticipation or the expectation that an ambulance can take them to a government hospital in Guadalajara at any time. No. It has to be authorized through that call center, and they are given a number, an authorization number. With that authorization number, they will be received. Without it, no. All right, go to the next one. Uh, we kind of cover... Well, no. I'll go ahead and go with that. Okay, so... Uh, there's about 90 hospitals, if you, uh, if you believe Google, in uh, Guadalajara. Uh, a lot of them are not very, they're not real, real hospitals. But uh, where, you know, where are you going to go? Uh, a lot of people say, oh, I, I know this. I like this hospital. I want to go here. Um, a lot of people really don't have a plan. Uh, some people think that they're going to fly home. Uh, and then I'm going to touch just real quick on a uh, on new hospital here, which I'm sure a lot of people have questions on that. But uh, let's talk about flying real quick. Let's go to the next page. And those are the government hospitals. Go to the next one. Uh, the next one, and then the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Okay. First hour. Uh, the faster you get treated on some of these things, the better, especially if it's a stroke or a heart attack. Uh, if you can be treated and actually get the re- uh, the whole system resolved in uh, in the first hour, your survival is, is much higher. But go to the next one. Um. Okay, I'll go ahead and talk about this. I, I, I've got some slides in there about flying out and just a, a little farther down. Uh, without money, this is just for your information. It's not really something you're probably going to use or that's going to be in your favor. Each state has their own uh, penal code. They're, the, the laws, uh, you know, the other ones are regarding protocols. This is actually uh, you know, the, the criminal law, and this is specific to Jalisco. And it basically says, whatever hospital um, rejects you uh, in a life-or-death situation, if, whether it be the doctor, whether it be you know administrator, you know, whoever it is, uh, it's, it's a crime. Uh, you know, there's fines, there's jail time, there's various things. Uh, not for just rejecting, but if the patient ends up dying, I think it specifies in there. Uh, if they reject you and you live, then you're okay. But uh, but this gets, a, this gets a little tricky because it, there's, there's a fine line on this one. Let's say that you're, you're walking and you're just in the parking lot of the best hospital Mexico has, and you just happen to have a heart attack right sorry, right then and there. That hospital then has an obligation, independent of, of your ability to pay, to stabilize you, not to do open-heart surgery on you, not to put in stents, but to do a diligent job to at least stabilize you. Let's say that you had a heart attack right here, right now. And the nearest hospital is the San Antonio one. You go, no, nah, I want to go to San Javier. And so, you know, your spouse drives you to San Javier and you walk in and you go, look, it says that you can't reject us because uh, we can't pay. Um, you just chose that hospital and you just requested services at that hospital. That's different. Uh, You went out of your way to go to that hospital. Uh, So by requesting services at that hospital means that you are, it's expected that you will pay for those services. Uh, If you go to a hospital and a private hospital and you cannot pay and you know you can't pay going in, that's actually fraud. Uh, And that gets into a big legal battle. And neither side usually ends up winning on it. And so that's why the hospitals want to make sure that they can get paid before they let you in because otherwise it, gets, it can get really ugly. i uh, go to the next one. Uh, this is an accident scene. Uh, you see the motorcycle in the background. You see the guy laying down there. And, you know, when we came up on this, we thought, well, <laughs> idiot on a motorcycle did something stupid, which, you know, that happens a lot here. But actually the motorcycle guy actually stopped to direct traffic. It was actually somebody who was just walking across the street. And you can't see in that photo, but actually probably not even 100, 200 feet back. It was actually a pedestrian bridge. But uh, he decided to try his luck, and he ran through traffic. Um, that's obviously an emergency case. If that had happened in the U.S. or Canada, an ambulance would have been dispatched right away. They would have taken you to the nearest hospital that can accommodate you. No. Um, it was a while. Even Transito drove by a couple of times. They didn't, they didn't want to get involved. Um, but uh, they finally, it was, it was the, green, the Cruz Verde, the, uh, the municipal uh, hospital for Guadalajara, which are several of them, that actually picked him up and took him to their place. Uh, it, you know, most of those hospitals don't have a lot of equipment, a lot of, uh, you, know, they're, you know, if you have a chance between you know, Cruz Verde and Guadalajara San Javier, you know, probably choose San Javier, unless you have no money, in which case you go to Cruz Verde. But, you know, being a life, I mean, that's a life or death situation. Uh, you know, he was literally bleeding from the ears. He was not in good shape. Uh, but uh, he was there for, I don't know, i bet you we were there probably 40 minutes before, you know, an ambulance ever came. So but uh, so anyway, you, you've you got to have some sort of a plan. What was also interesting about this case and important to mention is that, you know, we see somebody laying on the ground, which is the first thing we want to do. Well, yeah, we'd like to call an ambulance, but... You know, where are we going to take him? Uh, so the first thing we want to do is we want to call somebody. We want to call somebody that knows them. So, you know, we didn't have any anything really that said, in case of emergency, call this number. Uh, but, you know, we called a few numbers. Nobody wanted to do anything, uh, whether they thought that uh, we were lying or, or whatever. But uh, nobody was really interested in helping them. so we, we weren't able to get a hold of anybody. He ended up going to uh, one of the Cruz Verdes in Guadalajara, we don't know actually what happened to him. He might have actually survived. We, we don't know. It's one of those cases where, you know, it looks pretty bad, but, you know, some people do survive. Go to the next one. Um, that's actually kind of everything that I've already told you. Uh, go to the next one. Uh, this is for the insurance. I'm just going to touch on this real quick, but if you have insurance, it makes things a lot easier. And for some people, it's easy to get insurance. For some people, it's not. Um, I'm just going to touch on this really, really quickly. Uh, there's three main groups that some people, the c- catastrophe groups, uh, PA group, which used to be WIA, which was Worldwide Expat Association, Lumi, which I believe they're out of Dallas, uh, they seem to be working pretty well, and best doctors. The, the, the hospitals, they're limited to what hospitals uh, for, for most of the services. I think in emergencies they might have a reimbursement plan. But uh, there's two group plans. You notice where it says boomers in paradise and focus on Mexico. And so, by doing a group plan, by grouping them into either of those two groups, they're able to have a little bit better uh, price than as if you just bought the insurance by itself. uh, Especially to patients that are, you know, in their late sixties, seventies. I think the cutoff is somewhere around seventy-one. I may be wrong on that. Uh, And then there's other, there's plans to grow to MetLife. There's other ones as well. But uh, having insurance is very, very useful. Go ahead. The names of the whether well, of the group plan there. So you have it. Ins- you have it. For example, if you wanted insurance just by yourself, you're you're just buying in as a single person. But let's say that you've got twenty or two hundred somewhat healthy people, and as a group, you buy into it. It's like in the, in the U.S. when you have a company. You know, everybody in the company gets the insurance, and it's cheaper because it's a group. So that's what both of those have done. Uh, Boomers in, in Paradise was the first one. She actually put it together. And then Focus on Mexico kind of did the same thing. So, and each plan is a little bit different. I'm partial to one, but, not, but I'm not going to go into that. Uh, go to the next one. Okay. If no insurance, uh, some cash or a credit card. The credit card, it's a nice thing, but it may or may not work. Uh, you know, not all of the, the terminals, uh, which are provided by a specific bank, not all of them are going to accept all the credit cards. Especially when you get into some of the foreign credit cards. Uh, so it, that's a that's a good long term. Let's so say you have to be in the hospital for a month. Okay, that's that's nice. But to just get your foot in the door, it's a very good thing to have cash or access to cash, uh, and the access to cash usually means having somebody a friend, a spouse, a family member somebody that has access to cash if you um, to just to get in a good idea would be around 5,000 pesos I'm not saying that you should always carry that around in your purse or anything because that can be a little bit of a dangerous thing but know that you can have access to it uh, whether it's through a debit card that may only have 5,000 on just it by itself uh, or that You know, you have some friends that that know that, okay, I've got 10,000 pesos under the drawer of my, you know, somewhere, you know, so they can get it. Uh, Let's go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, Always have identification and emergency information card. This is probably the most important thing on here, uh, on this whole presentation. Uh, If you don't take away anything else, you could have a million dollars in the bank. You could have the best insurance. If whoever finds you doesn't know that, guess what? You go through the triage. All right, go to the next one. All right, this is one. I've actually got this on my website. I used to print them out as a uh, same same size as a business card. There's a lot of things you can do. You could print them off. Uh, you could have a little chip. You you could do a whole bunch of things. But really, when it comes down to it. Whatever information you have is only useful if whoever finds you can interpret it. And so I have these, I printed them off, it was uh, yellow on one side and chartreuse uh, green on the other side, so that they wouldn't mistake it for a business card or anything like that. Problem was they were a little glossy and a little hard to write on. So what I did is I put that as an interactive PDF on my website, and so you can actually fill that out and just print it off on a regular piece of paper, cut it out, fold it, and then laminate it or not laminate it. And having that in your wallet can mean life or death. It means, okay, we know who to call. We know that this person has insurance. We know that this person has money to go to a hospital. These are, an- these are answers to questions that whoever finds you is going to have. And whoever finds you, whether it's the police, the paramedic, or, or the doctor, whoever... First thing they're going to do, if you can't speak, they're going to try to figure out who you are. If for nothing else, because they have paperwork that they have to fill out, and it says name, uh, I don't know. Uh, so they're going to look in the wallet. They're going to try to find your name. And you want this to be right up front. A lot of people put their driver's license or something up there. i put their driver's license in the you know, back one, put this one in the front. It doesn't have to be this one. Make something. Uh, you know, Something that's similar to this. But on my website, I've got this. Anybody can, can you know, print it off. Uh, you don't have to pay or, or do anything. Uh, But that is very, very important. All right, go to the next one. All right, I'm just going to touch really, really quick on this flying home. A lot of people think, uh, you know, because Canada has a lot of people stay down here uh, half the year and half the year up there, so that they maintain their insurance. Uh, Some of the people in the United States have uh, Medicare. And so a lot of people think that they'll fly home. Uh, A couple things on that. Sometimes it's a good idea, sometimes it's not. I've flown on a few flights, um, flown people as far as, actually, Korea was, was the last flight I flew on, but um, some of these people would have been better being treated here. Some of them, the best thing was to actually fly them back. Uh, you don't always know what the best thing is up front either, but let's go, I'm just going to talk about this for a second. That's a, that's a, one of the, the Leers that we that we fly occasionally. Go to the next one. Uh, that's actually a hawker. You notice she actually has headroom, of course, she's actually short, but... Uh, there, you can actually stand up in that airplane as opposed to a Lear where you have to walk down the aisle like this. Uh, and there's a patient on the right. Um, go ahead and go to the next one. The next one. Okay. Uh, you can't see really well. The, on the right side, there's actually a, a backpack that's on top of, a, of a, a medical, we call it the sled, uh, which is underneath it has an oxygen tank, it has everything on it, but that's where the patient goes. The, the, the seats on the right side are taken out, and then the door is just such that we can just slide them right in. Uh, go to the next one, gives you a little better idea. That's actually taken from the back seat. That's everything there. It, they, that's pretty crammed. Uh, it's an intensive care unit uh, in the air. This one was a, a Canadian patient. Um, we flew him from Puerto Vallarta to Ottawa, uh, intensive care to intensive care. And uh, in that case, that was actually the best. Uh, it was definitely the best, uh, best thing we could have done in that case. The patient, remember I had talked just briefly about Florida, uh, the patient that we had to take by ambulance to a hospital uh, when we landed. Florida, there's kind of a, a cruel joke. They say Florida is where you go to die. And that's mainly because a lot of people in the United States retire in Florida and they end up dying there. But uh, in, in my case, every patient that we've taken to Florida they haven't been treated very well it's like nobody wants to get involved uh, it's like no that, that's not my job that's their, their job and everything else and uh, actually the patient that we flew there uh, he previously he was on a cruise ship and was having some problems when he was hiking up in Belize and so in, uh, in Cozumel in the hospital there they realized that he had, had a heart attack and they even brought somebody in from Mexico City to, uh, to do some preliminary stuff to just keep him alive and he wanted to go ahead and get the definitive work in the U.S. because he had insurance in the U.S. And uh, he became unstable. Uh, so in uh, Florida, we took him to a hospital in Florida. And they did an EKG and said, no, nah, he's normal. And uh, anyway, it was one of those things nobody really wanted to take care of him. And uh, so we learned two hours after we dropped him off, he had died of a heart attack there. Uh, he, you know, nobody knew that at the time, but it would have been better had he you know, just been treated here in Mexico. You don't know what the right thing to do is, but when you're talking heart attacks and strokes, a lot of times you're better off being treated in Mexico. Uh, you know, there was another patient that was paralyzed. He was out body surfing and hit his head. No fractures or anything. It was just a lot of swelling in the brainstem, so he was temporarily paralyzed, and we flew him out to California. That was probably the best thing for him. But uh, strokes, heart attacks, some of these things are, are probably better treated here. But the other thing is cost. Let me go to the next page. Yeah. So they going um, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with it that's, that's a they're not the they don't actually own the airplanes or anything they're kind of um, yeah I'm kind of familiar with them I don't I don't deal with them or anything that's a that's a different thing um, wait. this long enough, they have to not lose much money. And... Huh? Exactly, which means they're not losing money. Which means they're probably... I'm sure they have probably have flown some people. Um, but it's very expensive to fly these planes. The the flight to, uh, to Florida... Actually, I'll, right here I've got a picture. You can't really read that. But that shows that the fuel is uh, like four... A gallon that was in uh, San Diego. Right there is uh, on the uh, f- the fuel uh, fuel tank of the uh, of the Lear, and you can see total fuel capacity six hundred and twenty-one gallons. Actually, I think it's six hundred and thirty-one gallons. Um, you're going to refuel that plane probably twice on the average trip. Uh, sometimes even more. I mean, one of the flights uh, that we flew on, we uh, refueled in. Boise, Idaho, we refueled in Anchorage, we refueled in Russia, we refueled again in Korea, and of course they refueled that plane that many times coming back. Um, they're nice airplanes, but yeah, they, they eat a lot of gas, or a lot of uh, kerosene. So if you take, uh, you know let's just say 450 a gallon times 631 gallons, uh, you're, you're spending some money, that's just for the fuel. That's just for the fuel. Go to the next one. Uh, then you've got the pilots. Then you've got the crew. Crew. Then you've got the equipment. Uh, then you've got the medication. And then you've either got to rent the airplane or you've got to have it purchased. The cheapest flight that I've ever seen was 45000 And that was the uh, patient that paid to go to it fl- to was going to be D.C. And we ended up landing in uh, in Florida. Uh, the most expensive was 220000 And that was a, a Korean patient that we flew from uh, Cozumel all the way to, to South Korea. But... Uh, so really, it comes down to you've got to make a you've got to make a decision. Would you rather you know do the surgery here? Because um, if you're going to spend at least if it's going to be out of pocket, and that's like ex- excluding this insurance or something, let's say that you're going to spend at least forty five thousand U S. dollars, and it's going to cost you thirty thousand in Mexico. You know you're you're safer staying in Mexico. Um, if there's any the possibility of intensive care. That's where, you, that's where Mexico gets expensive. Let's say that you have to spend a month in intensive care. That's going to be expensive, in which case you may want to go back to the States, because that may be a lot cheaper than, than, than being here. Um, you know, Some people fear poor results in Mexico. Yes, there are some places that don't have good results. Yes, there are some bad doctors in Mexico, but you've also got some very good ones. Um, you may not know who's good, who's bad, but You know, to say that you could not find the same level of treatment in Mexico as you could in U.S. or Canada, there's not going to be too many situations where that's going to be true. So you've got to weigh the costs. Uh, Flying out is is not cheap. Also consider, not everybody needs to be flowing out on a Learjet. Uh, You know, somebody has a, you know, know, maybe maybe it's just a major fracture or something that's going to cost a lot to get repaired. They could fly back on a commercial airline, uh, some of them. But uh, anyway, go to the next one. All right. Uh, a lot of people have asked me about this. Uh, they'll say, well, what do you think about the hospital uh, in San Antonio? Um, when it was being built, uh, we didn't know. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't really have an answer. You know, people would say, well, what do you think it's going to be like? I don't know. Uh, do you think they're going to be able to do this? I don't know. And as of right now, we can say that it is the only real hospital that we have here. Uh, you know, I know Hospital Ahiik made an attempt to make something go there, but it didn't have what we really needed. Uh, you know, if you, if you need laboratory work in the middle of the night, uh, it, it's not available. This hospital does have a laboratory 24 hours. We have a lot of laboratories here, a lot of Me Too laboratories that uh, are happy to take your blood and send it somewhere else and charge you a little bit more. But uh, to actually have the equipment there... Uh, so that you could go in Sunday night and uh, you know, have them take your blood and actually find out what's wrong with you, that's a major advantage. Uh, they also have imaging, uh, and we're talking some fairly good equipment. The, uh, the CAT scan has been running for quite a while, and it's a very good one. We're not talking a basic one. There was one that they were putting into in a, in a Red Cross out in, um, on the other side of Hamai out there, out in uh, Lawn. And it was nice that they had it, but it was, you know, it was almost something out of a museum. It probably still worked sometimes, but I think it was a four-cut. In other words, every time it went around, it could take an image. The one out in San, in San Antonio is, is new. It's, uh, I believe it's a 128-cut, which is about as good as you're going to get. I think in the U.S. they have a couple that are a little bit, a little bit more, but that's 128 is the best. It's, it's, it's better than most up in Guadalajara. Uh, so they've got a CAT scan. Um, they've got an MRI machine as well. They've got a good MRI machine. The uh, the hospital and the investors, they paid, I want to say, if I recall correctly, like 3 million pesos to CFE uh, to have new electric lines run out there. And I remember wondering what was happening with CFE. I thought, well, oh, they're actually caring about the electricity. Uh, over there by um, the pharmacy Guadalajara and everything down this way, they were putting up new lines about, I don't know, six, eight months ago, whatever. And I noticed they were larger than the other ones, and I was wondering why. Well, that's why they 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 have actually paid them to put in new lines and everything. As of yet, they have yet to actually hook in the system and do everything that they need to actually have the uh, the MRI functional. But it is there. Uh, they're just waiting for CFE to do one more thing that I believe they've already paid CFE to do. But you know, it, but uh, so when we have the MRI, that'll be one more thing that we've got there. Uh, and they also have, uh, and this is fairly new, they've got a blood bank there, uh, which is a very important thing. Uh, the blood bank, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're dealing prices, I mean, it's slightly more than some of the other ones, but it's here. And also, the other thing is, when you're dealing with blood banks, a lot of the ones in Guadalajara, first of all, if you're bleeding to death, you're not going to say, I want to go to Guadalajara. It's like these people that drive, you know, 20 miles to get gas. It's two cents, you know, less a gallon. But... Um, the, the other thing is when you're trying to donate blood, a lot of times you want something that's similar if you want a, if you want a decent match. You could say, well, this person's A positive, this person's A positive. doesn't mean they're going to match. It uh, doesn't mean that it's going to work. And so by having something here, you can send different more donors and say, okay, well, this one, you know, see if it matches. Because even, even though on paper things should match, they're going to take the two blood types, the actual blood from two people, and they're going to mix it together. And so there's a major advantage to that. I know a lot of people that have gone to Guad, and uh, they said, well, I couldn't donate blood because of this or that. We had to go back two or three times. It's here. And so that's a, that's a major advantage. Uh, hemodialysis, and actually hemodialysis uh, is, is a competitive price. It's, it's cheaper than a lot of the hospitals in Guadalajara. Uh, a very well-equipped emergency area, uh, surgery, surgery, uh, the only thing that they don't have that I have been asked about is hemodynamic, which is an area where they would be able to put in stents and, and do various things. And as of now, they don't have that. That may be a future thing. It comes down to economics. That's a very expensive proposition. But they do have. Uh, I remember, a long time ago, there was they called them plot busters. The first one was a strept, What was it? Uh, They used to call it chepokinase. streptokinase is uh, what it is. Uh, And then uh, they've got some newer ones which can be used on both a heart attack and a stroke, assuming that the stroke is caused by a blockage. Uh, About 89% are caused by blockage. The other 11% are caused by bleeds. So you need a CAT scan or an MRI to find out before you would give the medication. And they do have that. And... Personally, I would pr- probably rather have the medication if it's possible, rather than having a, you know the actual uh, procedure. So they're very well equipped. Uh, probably have more questions on that uh, afterwards. I know everybody always asks me, you know, well, what do they do with you know this and that. But uh, so let me just go to the next slide, and then if there's any questions, uh, you can ask me anything. Uh, so basically, you need to have a you need to have a plan. Uh, just having insurance, just having money, just having uh, you know, a wish isn't, isn't necessarily going to, to help you. Have a card with you at all times. Uh, you know, the, the card that I put together, it's very simple, but uh, you know, that's all you need. You don't need a whole scroll of information. You just need the basic stuff. Uh, communicate your plan with those that know you. Uh, that's very important uh, because a lot of times something happens, and I've seen this happen so many times, that an emergency arises, and it's like, well, what, would, what do you think they would have wanted? Uh, you know, where do they want to go? You know, do they have money? Oh, yeah, but nobody has a card. Uh, you need to, people around you need to know what you want. Uh, and then the next one applies to the people around you. Go ahead to the next one. Their plan. Um, you know, we talk about what, what is for us. What should we do as, as the potential patient but let's just say that one person in here has a heart attack. Let's just say that somebody, one, right now, one person will have a heart attack. All the rest of the people are people that could actually help that person. And so, you know, yes, we should plan ahead for our personal emergencies, but we should also plan ahead for the emergencies of other people around us. Uh, you know, whether you know it or not, uh, you know, and there's different, different ways you can find information, uh, know the signs of a heart attack or a stroke. Uh, you know, I, I had somebody call me one time on a Sunday and said, uh, I think my husband is having a stroke. And, yeah, she described it. It was a stroke. I mean, there was no doubt about it. Um, and it was actually one of those perfect situations where we were able to get him treated and everything within an hour. Uh, know how to take vital signs. Just the basics. Uh, but if, you, if you're calling somebody and saying, well, he's on the ground, okay, that doesn't tell me a whole lot. Uh, is he breathing? Is he breathing rapidly? <laughs> Is he breathing very slowly? What's his pulse? You don't have to sit there and count it and go, I don't know if it was 59 or 60. No. But was it in the range of 20? Was it in the range of 30? Was it 120? You know, just, just a general idea, just so that, you know, you can trans, you know, transfer the information. Um, you know, know how to take a pulse on the, on the, on the wrist or, or, or right here. Um, know who to call. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, okay, well, if an emergency happened right now, who would we call? Um, you know, hopefully there's a card on there, but hopefully if you know that person, you would know who they would want to be, you know, who to call. And then, as far as a first aid kit, uh, it's always good to have something around, just the basics: uh, some gauze, some tape, some gloves, like a minimum. And then I put on there uh, also as a minimum compression and compressions. Uh, why those two? If somebody's bleeding, you know, everybody, oh gee, he's, he's bleeding. What are we going to do? Put pressure on it. You know, I mean, somebody, you know, blood is spurting out. Okay, put pressure on it. Uh, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to sit there and say, well, I don't, I don't know how to suit your uh, arteries. No, just put pressure on it and, and, and just know to do it and put pressure on it hard, depending on where it is. Up here, not so much. Uh, and then the other thing is compressions. Uh, the CPR, they've modified that a lot uh, since, since I first learned it, uh, actually, back in high school. It uh, used to be, okay, well, so many you know, breaths, so many compressions, and then they changed that. And there's a lot of things, and, and you may not even remember that. That's not important. But what they do recommend is that the bystanders, if they don't do anything else, just do compressions, fast and, and, and deep. And there are some states uh, and some countries where they have uh, implemented that and, and, and made uh, awareness of that. And the survival is quite high compared to other places where people just sit around and go, uh, you know how to do that, right? Uh, but, you know, you know, try to, try to be proactive and, and learn a little bit, because even though we're talking about what we're going to do for you as the patient in an emergency, the rest of us are bystanders to that emergency. So, you know, try to at least know the basics. Go to the next one, which is the last one. And this is where, any questions? There a few of them. Okay, I'll start with the middle one. How many beds i believe it's somewhere in the teens i want to say i want to say 12 13 i think it's actually 10 10 beds is it okay all right yeah it's 10 beds it's not in large hospital in that way um if those 10 beds start filling up on a regular basis the the whole next level uh Everything's there, the rebound everything is there so that they can actually build another level right on top of it. So yeah, it's one of those things if if they come they can they can build it. Yeah, you're supposed to he's he's asking uh, about the insurance that's supposed to be given for the employees, the 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 people that clean the house, the gardeners, and stuff like this. Uh, yeah, you're supposed to. Uh, you're supposed to be giving them EIMS, IMSs, and that's not something that you're probably going to be able to do on your own. They've they've kind of made that system very inefficient in a lot of ways, but to where you couldn't just say, "Okay, I'll, I'll give you EIMS." How, how are they going to do that? Uh, usually, that's going to have to go through an accountant. Uh, and the accountant is going to know all of that. So now not only do you have to pay their EAMS, now you've got to pay an accountant in order to pay them the EAMS. So, but, yeah, if you want to be legal about it, you do that. That's a good question, and we don't know. Uh, The the question was the new hospital that is being built on the Libramiento, close to, well, kind of across the street from, uh, what is it, El Dorado there? We don't know. I mean, there's there's a newsletter that's put out by uh, Dr. Hernandez that that talks about it and stuff. But it's one of those things. Until it's actually there and functioning, I don't know what it's going to have and how it's going to function. Uh, That's that's a good question, and that's one I don't have an answer to. Go ahead. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, the, the biggest thing is is going to be is going to be money. Uh, you know, obviously identification, knowing who you are, stuff like that is important. Yeah, and but uh, but you know, a little bit of cash, you know, gets you in the door.
2: Um, I just want to say because I I'm sure Sam is not going to say it because he's a private physician, but. Uh, after working with Red Cross for many years and being down here for quite a while, if you are a snowbird and you don't have but can afford to go to a private physician down here and become their patient, it is extremely important. The private physicians down here can ease the way into whatever medical care you need, but if you're not their patient, they're not doing any easing for you. So even if you're only here six months a year, you need to spend 600, 700 pesos, get a physical exam, hook up with a doctor, and know that you can call them in the middle of the night and you can call that doctor on the weekends and they will get you where we hope is the right place for you to be. You cannot rely on dialing 911, not speaking Spanish, and getting where you need to be. It's not going to work. Okay? It's it's that simple. And so if you have the personal resources, I urge you, ask around, ask your friends, however you want to do it, but find a physician locally and become their patient. I know you can't say that, Sam.
1: No, but that is a very good point. Uh, And I can bring up one more case here real quick as I'm going around doing the questions. Uh, There was an 11-year-old girl that had electrical burns over a very large percentage of her body. And, um, of course, it went through the state triage. She was still fairly stable. Uh, The only way that she got into hospital surveillance because somebody knew somebody who knew one of the doctors there. Um, And so in this situation, yes, knowing a doctor, having somebody that has your file and and everything, it makes a a big difference. It really does. People who know people, it's a very big thing. You had a question? Well, it's just a comment. I know that many people are apprehensive to do anything in the way of CPR because I don't know how fast, I don't know any of that. There's a very simple rule of thumb, and I think most of us have all heard the old song by the Bee Gees, "Staying Alive. That's the beat. If you do that beat, "Staying alive, Staying alive, that's the compression rate. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's right, and that's, that's some good advice. There's... Um, as my first teacher that ever taught me CPR many, many years ago told me, the worst thing you can do is do nothing. If you don't remember, is it 99? Is it just do it. Just, uh, you know, the, the, the worst thing is doing nothing.
3: Okay, I, I've had the pleasure of spending a few nights at the San Antonio Hospital, and I can tell you uh, the service was superb. I was very, very pleased. Uh, they, they were excellent, uh, that's one comment. The second comment is, if you go to the San Antonio Hospital, you pick up a form there and and fill it out, they will send it off to your insurance company. The way it works is it applies to urgent care, not if you go in for your regular physical appointment, but let's say you break an arm or you have to be in in the emergency room or anything. You fill out the paperwork and do do it now, not when you're in the hospital. You always find this out after you're in the hospital, obviously. But that way, If you have a broken arm, you pay 100 pesos, and they will bill your insurance company then. You don't have to worry about it. If you spent the night or a month, you pay 3,000 pesos up front, and they will bill your insurance company. You don't have to worry about it. But you need to do that first. Go there, get the paperwork. When you go in the hospital, make a left turn. It's the first office on the left okay but when you go in to the hospital, you need to let them know you're signing up for urgent care and then they will call your hospital and everything's taken care of. You don't have to do anything after that. Number two, how many people are familiar with in the. US with ice ICE? Okay the rest of you who are not, put on your cell phone ICE and the name afterwards. That's the person, if they find your cell phone, and they know then who to contact in the U.S. you put in, It stands for in case of emergency. Okay, you put in ICE, sister, brother, friend, whatever, at the phone number. So they can call somebody in the U.S. on your behalf. Okay, because otherwise you look, you look at all the numbers. Who do I call? I don't know. So put in ICE in case of emergency. Okay, thank you.
1: All right. I do. He was, he was asking if I had a website. Uh, and that's also where those, those cards are available. And it's, um, it's simply, you go www, and then dr, as in the abbreviation for doctor, but without a period, just dr. And then it's my last name, which I'll give you here in a second, is t-h-e-l-i-n. And then it's just .com. And then if you go to the top, it'll say patient forms, and that'll take you to everything you need. At the bottom of the page for patient forms is going to have the, in red, uh, it'll be the only red link on that page. It has the, that card that you can print out. And also there's a link on there about the instructions for filling it out, which sounds kind of you know kind of stupid. Why would you need instructions on filling it out? But it's a lot of good recommendations on what to put in a limited amount of space. Yes, it is. It's .com. Uh, the last name is T. T is in Tom. H is in Henry. E is in Edward. L is in Lima. E is in Edward. N is in November.
0: Yes? Does Mexico have DNRs and what do I do if I find someone dead in their house?
1: Okay. Uh, DNIs, yes, with the lawyers, you can, you can have something written up. Uh, good, good point. <laughs> she says don't call the police. Um, as long as somebody has a copy of it, they should honor it because it's a legal document. So the doctor would need, you know, or you would need it. Uh, you know, somebody has to have a copy of it. Just having one doesn't mean that anybody's going to know about it. But then the other thing is uh, if you find somebody dead... If it looks like there's violence, um, then it becomes a police matter. If it's an accident, it's technically still a police matter, but uh, it, you know, it kind of gets into a gray area. Uh, and if they also look very dead... Uh, as in more than 24 hours, then that also becomes a legal issue. But if they if they look like they just recently died, you know, they you know even even still warm or or whatever, uh, then you would call their doctor because their doctor would be able to fill out a death certificate without having to do all the forensics and everything like that. Um, go ahead. Calling the doctor, Doctor Sam.
0: What if the doctor isn't there or is with patients? I mean, are you going to drop everything? How do you know who's calling you?
1: That's a very good question. I used to answer the phone all the time. Um, and I learned that most of them are not emergencies. If the doctor doesn't answer the phone, the second thing would be to send, hopefully you've got the cell phone number, uh, would be to send a text message. Because a lot of times an incoming call, you, you may not want to take You may be in the middle of something. But if there's a text message that follows it and, you know, you explain the situation, uh, you know, in emergency, whatever, then oftentimes, you know, they'll they'll stop doing whatever they're doing and, and, and call you. Um, and then if they can't, have a second backup number. So, yeah, but, but a text message. I mean, in, in my case, that, that usually means a big thing because if somebody were to call me, for example, right now while I'm talking, somebody's going to call me, I'm probably not going to answer. I'll probably look and I'll see who it is. And if it's a critical patient or something, I may... Okay, but I probably would not I would probably just decline the call but if they called and I declined it and then I received a text message immediately afterwards you know saying emergency you know uh, you know spouse having stroke then I, of course I would re- I would reply I would call that patient back so yeah following up with a text message is a very good thing uh, and then she uh, her question on uh, about who to call and everything there's a, a quick little story on that uh, kind of entertaining, you'll all love it. There was uh, somebody that had cancer and um, the person was in his final stages and got out of the bed. And the person, his, his uh, treatment for cancer was not necessarily the same treatment that I probably would have prescribed him, but uh, he was very convinced that marijuana was going to cure him. Uh, the fact that he had been smoking it for the last 50 years and that didn't keep him from getting it in the first place probably didn't have a high probability of working. And uh, so anyway, the house was full of marijuana, and uh, and it was outside of Chippawa, and the patient got out of bed and uh, basically dropped dead. And so the spouse called, like the Red Cross or the Green Cross, I won't say which one, and uh, explained the situation. Well, of course, the translation was uh, he fell and he's dead. And so that automatically becomes an accident, and they've got to call the police. Well, of course, they're scared to death that the police are coming, and they've got the whole house full of marijuana, so they call me back, and, you know, what can you do, what can you do? Uh, the police are coming. And uh, so this is where it, it also helps to, to know people. And uh, so, of course, I called somebody in the, in the government, I won't say where, and uh, I said, I've got this situation, and uh, he said, I'll call you back and he called me back in a few minutes he goes uh well just sign the certificate they're not going and uh so anyway it's uh you know when she had mentioned about uh you know having a, a personal family physician and stuff it really does go it, it goes a long ways uh, having some sort of a, of a connection give a loud voice This is a question um, about a Canadian issue. Um, The new hospital um, has the big sign about how they honor all the insurance programs of the USA, and I'm wondering if you know anything about the situation for Canadians? That's a very good question. Um, If it's a private insurance company, I would imagine they could still work with it, If it's government such as OHIP, which would be for Ontario or or some of the other ones, I don't know about that, because I think, for example, uh, OHIP specifically used to pay, I think it was like $400 for emergency or something when you were outside of the country, and I think they just recently stopped doing that. Uh, And of course, you've got the other areas as well. Each one has their own laws. But that's a very good question, and I don't know. I, I really don't know. If it's a private company... Probably they would be able to deal with it, but if it's a government, I I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. Uh, but I will say one thing on that real quick is if you do have some sort of insurance that covers you, uh, have the card, uh, have have or a copy of it, have information. Uh, you know, not to bore everybody with another story. But I got a call from Puerto Vallarta one time, and they wanted me to call. Um, uh, a burn center in Quebec, uh, and I was I was just assuming okay whether well, wanting me to call there because they don't speak French, but I don't speak French either. Uh, but actually, they were quite accommodating. They even spoke Spanish to me. But uh, anyway, long story short, the person had insurance. They had an insurance card, and he he was, it was a it was a major burn patient. He'd be taken somewhere, but he wasn't even a resident. Uh, he was a, he was an Ontario resident, so he wouldn't have even been covered there at that burn center. And uh, then when it all came down to it, the card was a travel insurance. It wasn't the insurance for up there. And the only thing that they would cover would be to transport him to another place in Mexico. They would not take him back to Canada. So, you know, if you have insurance, make sure that you know what you have and then make sure you have a clean, legible copy of it with you uh, so that they can be called.
2: Is it wise to have your, like, we have electives at home, you know, what's going to happen if whatever, and um, people designated to make the decisions for us. Is it wise to have one down here, like in Spanish, and have it notarized, and then they know if you want to be cremated, that's what you want, or whatever?
1: Yes. Yes, and yes. Um, there's, there's, there's a couple things there. One is is your directive as to what you want done. I uh, have a copy of it here. Yes, have it done here by a notary here because then it becomes a legally binding document in Mexico. Well, what <coughs> Uh, mainly just to cover what you, if you died. Now, if you have assets in Mexico, then that's a will, and that's a whole different thing. Yeah, but we're just talking medical. Definitely have one here. And then the other thing is, if you are from the United States, this does not apply to Canada or some of the other countries, the U.S. consulate will not allow cremation of the U.S. citizen unless there is a document signed by the, by the person themselves or a direct family member. So that's, imp- that's important.
3: What about Canada?
1: Canada doesn't seem to, to give Justin. too much of a problem with that. Uh, that's that's a U.S. Major, uh, The the U.S. the Mexican sorry the uh, the Canadian consulate doesn't seem to be too too uh, they don't meddle too much in the affairs of the people that live here. Uh, but the U.S. does. Uh, the U.S. if they don't have a document, they won't permit it. Okay. Yeah.
0: Last question.
3: Prescription drugs, is, well, are they
1: expensive? Uh, you know, how do you get them, I mean? Okay, he's asking about prescription drugs, uh, you know, how they are compared to, like, back in the States or Canada. Uh, real quick, uh, everything you need to know about prescription drugs in a nutshell. There's six classes of medication. Uh, class one, barcoded prescription, it would be like morphine. Uh, Class 2 requires a regular prescription. Uh, It would be like, uh, for example, Valium. Uh, It's good for 30 days. Uh, You're allowed to have two boxes only. Then there's a group 3. Group 3 also requires a prescription, and that would be for an example. That would be like lithium is is a group 3. Then I'm going to jump group five and group six do not need a prescription, uh, something like ibuprofen, something like that. What we refer to it like over-the-counter in the U.S. Uh, five has to be sold in a pharmacy. Six does not have to be sold in a pharmacy. Uh, and then you get group four. Group four is a big gray area. It requires a prescription, but they're not required to retain the prescription. Therefore, they don't have to ask for the prescription with the exception of antibiotics. Most of the medications that most of the people here take are going to fall into a group four. So you could, you could usually go in and get them, but the prescription serves more as a tool for communication than anything else. Because sometimes the people working at the pharmacies, uh, they're not necessarily pharmacists. They just have taken a few days class, and they might not be pres- you know, really familiar with, with what some of the medications are. Uh, One patient of mine actually went in there for an anti-diarrhea medication, and uh, he called me back and said uh, he's trying to sell me Viagra. Is that really what you... No, real real question. And uh, so the prescription does help. As far as prices, there's a few exceptions where they're more expensive. As a rule, most of them are much cheaper.
0: I really want to thank all of you for coming. We've learned a lot from Dr. Sam. And he's um, very accessible. I also want to tell you that this has been recorded and it is available on the website lpcchapala.org. That's the Chipala Presbyterian Church's website. Uh, next week, we are privileged to have Wendy J. Corral speak to us about palliative care and hospice care. Uh, what's available, what's not, what it's all about. And here in Mexico, it is different from up north. I know, I'm an old palliative care nurse. So I thank you all for coming, and I thank Dr. Sam again for giving up his afternoon.
2: Well, thank you.